25, Psalm 25. And if you would stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. As we read, do so meditatively, thinking about the words. This is God speaking to us as we read His Word. This is Psalm of David. He's writing this. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For I wait all the day for you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember my sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are kind, loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquities, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction with, and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we need this truth today in our lives. You are a God who speaks still. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, dear Lord, that you would enable us to understand it, for it to be applied to our lives, that we would, we would listen, and that we would be drawn to you, and we would receive the comfort and compassion that only you can give. Be a balm for the souls of the people who have gathered. Bring people to be reconciled to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A week ago Thursday, my wife left me. It's okay, she came back on Monday. She was just going to see her, her family in Alabama. But you know, it's really interesting when, if you're married and your spouse goes somewhere and it's totally out of the routine, that suddenly 
things strike you that you never really thought much of. And I was often struck that weekend, even though I was incredibly busy because I was taking on the responsibilities of uh, the taxi driver and uh, making sure that the, the kids were getting everything that they needed and trying to do all the things that she normally does for me. And I had times of loneliness. See, I was recognizing all the ways that she's my friend, she's my companion, she's my confidant. She's somebody that I can spend time with and, and just every single day we spend some degree of time together just fostering that relationship that God has given us. And I just began to think about what if she never came back? You know, what if something happened to her? Just thought about how lonely I would feel. But that led me to think about the topic of loneliness. Do you ever feel lonely? I think most of us could say we do, and if you don't feel lonely, you're probably alone in not feeling lonely. This is a big problem in our world. Uh, Cigna Healthcare did a study, and they found that 50% of Americans would say they feel lonely. NPR did a report, and it says 54% said that, that nobody actually knows them very well. 56% of people said that they are not really close to any of the people that they are surrounded by every day. 40% of people said they lack companionship, their relationships are not meaningful, and they feel isolated from others. Another survey found that younger Americans are hit harder by loneliness. Generation Z, they called it, people who were born between 1990 and the 2000s, early 2000s, they are the generation that is coming of age. There are teenagers and our young adults. And it says that they are the ones that feel loneliness the most. Loneliness has been deemed by some medical and psychological authorities as an epidemic. In fact, Great Britain just, they just appointed a minister of loneliness. Can you believe that? There are many circumstances under which people feel lonely. And I'm just, just trying to think through this and trying to, I know I can't identify with, with people in all of these circumstances, but experiencing loneliness to some degree makes you think about how hurtful, how hard it must be to experience the loneliness of other people. And to some degree we want to empathize, but even if we can't empathize, we can sympathize. Somebody who has lost a spouse, they've, they've died, you're stricken with grief. There's that loneliness that I know you experience. Some are experiencing separation in a marriage or divorce. And there's a loneliness that goes with that that other people who haven't experienced that cannot experience. Alexander Thoreau said, There is no loneliness like that of a failed marriage. And single people are lonely. Charlotte Bronte said, the trouble is not that I am single, 
and likely to stay single, but that I am lonely and likely to stay lonely. People who have no friends are lonely. A teenager who doesn't fit in at school or in the church group, for instance, feels terribly lonely sometimes. When you have a sickness or illness that you are trying to persevere through and it's not going away, no one can identify with your particular cancer or fibromyalgia or Crohn's disease or or whatever it might be, and there's a loneliness in bearing that. Orphans are lonely. Even if they're adopted, there's a loneliness there. You can be surrounded, can't you, by people. You can be surrounded by family and friends and still feel lonely, can't you? People are lonely in their marriages. There's there's no communication sometimes or intimacy. Anne Hathaway said, Loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anybody to care for or someone who will care for me. And then there's loneliness without any logical explanation. It's just part of our human condition. And our society doesn't really help too much, does it? We have a culture of isolation, a culture of individualism and autonomy, but with that individualism and autonomy, we displace people from us. Technology, while maybe Facebook and Instagram and some of these social medias design things so that people will be connected in many ways, but you, no matter how many friends you have or likes you have, you may not have any actual friends. So what do we do in our loneliness? Well, God, I give you good news, has help for the lonely. In fact, Psalm 25 is a prayer for the lonely. What do we do when we are lonely? Well, notice that David is praying to God in Psalm 25, and he describes his loneliness. Look at verses 16 and 17. That's kind of the core. He speaks to God, and he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. That's the core of David's struggle that he's facing. There are going to be some external factors that make this happen, but at the heart, he feels the affliction and the troubles, and it makes him feel a deep loneliness. So what do we do when we're lonely according to this psalm? Well, he gives us four important processes for us to utilize in our loneliness. The first thing we need to do when we feel lonely is wrestle with the Lord's character. Prayer is wrestling. You're wrestling with your thoughts. You're you're wrestling with who God is and what He's like and why am I going through this and, and what is this and how do I live and how do I exist? How do I persevere through this struggle? And when you face a trial, you're inevitably going to be asking in your loneliness, 
Where are you, God? What are you doing? What are you like? What can I hang on to? What can I cling to in this? So it's good to do like David does in this psalm and remind ourselves of who God is and what he is like. We need to remember his attributes. We have to force ourselves to remember what he is like and that he hasn't left us alone in this situation, that he is with us. And these scriptures help us to do that. We see David doing this right in the middle of verse 5. And the, the key thing there, I think the, the greatest thing we need to realize is what he says here. He says, you are the God of my salvation. See, the greatest isolation that people can or ever will experience is their alienation from God. That is the alienation that gives birth to every other alienation. See, God designed us to have close, fulfilling relationships, first of all, with Him. To love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, love in relationship is supposed to be our whole life. But sin has, has broken this. Sin has estranged us, separated us from God. He's supposed to be our closest companion, our confidant. The one that we, we know cares the most about us. But since our sin has estranged us from him, we're excluded from the life of God that he provides. And we're in danger of not only facing isolation from God in this life, but that ultimate separation from God for all eternity, suffering in hell. But God made a way for us to be reconciled to him in a relationship, didn't he? We don't have to be living in isolation from him. And he did this, Jesus did this, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, became the loneliest person on earth to take care of our loneliness and isolation from God. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now I don't mean he didn't still maintain this relationship with God, but from a human standpoint, he was rejected. He was despised. Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby. When he grew up in his family, Eventually, they thought he was mad. They didn't believe in who he was. He was betrayed by a friend, by a companion, one of his disciples. He was unjustly arrested. He was put on trial that was a mockery of justice. He was beaten and ridiculed and mocked and scorned, and a crown of thorns was pressed into his head. And they struck him as they mocked him. He was made to carry his own cross. And then he was hung on that cross, the, the torturous, shameful, brutal penalty of death was inflicted upon him. And he was hung there between heaven and earth naked. And then he experienced the ultimate alienation and loneliness when he took on all the sinfulness that made us alienated from God. He was made sin for us, and he was forsaken by God. 
Matthew 27, verse 46, reads these lonely words from Jesus. It says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did this cry of loneliness to bring about the ultimate reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Through faith in Christ, our ultimate loneliness has been dealt with. Ephesians 2.19 reads this beautiful truth. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. He has taken us as aliens and strangers and orphans and adopted us into his family. And we have a relationship with him. So the place to start when you're lonely is to say, God, you are the God of my salvation. Now, once you're in a relationship with God, when you're, when you're going through a trial, it's good to remember who this God of salvation is, what he is like. And David does this in verses 6 through 10. He reminds himself of the attributes of God, of what God is like. He mentions four in verses 6 through 10. He, he reminds himself of God's compassion, of his loving kindness, of his goodness and his righteousness. Listen to these words. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. When you're feeling lonely, it's good to remember that God is compassionate. Compassion is what is aroused in us when we see people who are vulnerable and suffering. Do you have that in you? You feel that compassion? Compassion is what fuels your acts of kindness and mercy. And God's compassion causes Him to tenderly deal with us as a, as a mother tends to her children. As a father deals with his children. We have compassion. And His compassion is given to whom? Guess what? To sinners. Isn't that amazing? He sees us in our need and He tenderly cares for us and He's moved with compassion to take care of our need. He says in verse 7, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 8, Therefore He instructs sinners in the way. Even when we're lonely and we go to God, the God of our salvation, we don't deserve His compassion. But it's part of His core being. It's part of who He is. He, he can't help himself, so to speak. And the objects of his compassion 
are in fact sinners because that's all there are. They couldn't find any other objects of compassion. So when you are lonely, remind yourself, God, you're compassionate. And not only is he compassionate, but he also is endowed with loving kindness. He's marked with loving kindness. This is another attribute. We see this word three times in verses 6 through 10. Verse 6 says, Remember, the Lord, remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. At the end of verse 7, According to your loving kindness, remember me. Verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. This word translated loving kindness is the Hebrew word kesed. If you don't know any other Hebrew word, this is a great one to know. Kesed, say it with me. Kesed. Kesed is translated in various different ways because there's a kind of a difficulty in embracing all that it encompasses. If you look at different translations, you'll see it translated as faithful love, loyal love, love, steadfast love, or loving kindness. And it's because this is the way that God deals with those people he is in covenant relationship to. And through all of his covenants in the Old Testament, whether it was uh, the Noahic covenant or the covenant with Abraham or the covenant with David, the Mosaic covenant, all these covenants, God was always faithful to keep his end of it, wasn't he? And in so doing, he was kind, he was loving in the way in which his faithfulness was lived out before people. So it's good for us to remember that this God of our salvation, this compassionate God also is going to be faithful and kind to us in fulfilling his promises. You can just embrace these, these promises. Isn't it comforting to know that he's a God who's going to keep his promises? There are several verses I want to read to you that just enforce and reinforce this idea that God is going to promise us. He's going to make promise to us, and he has. But then he's going to fulfill these. Listen to these. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. John 14, 16. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Psalm 27, verse 10. When my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. No matter who forsakes you, the Lord is going to take care of you. Jesus promised in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Psalm 147, verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Beautiful promises, aren't they? But not, not only is God compassionate, loving, kind, faithful, but He's also good. It's so important to remind ourselves that he is good. David does this in verse 8. He says, according to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. It's fascinating to me as I read the Psalms that you see these people going through affliction and trials and suffering and loneliness. And they, they remind themselves of who God is and they're able to rehearse that even in this situation you are good. 
Lord, I can't see why this is happening. I can't, it, this is evil that's happening to me. And yet, I know and I believe by some miraculous thing within me that you have changed. You've put your spirit within me. You've made me to have a relationship with you. You, you make me to believe in you whom I have never seen. And in fact, I love you. And so I know this, there must be some good in this. Your will is good. And not only is he good, but Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and he's faithful to all generations. So every single generation that believes in him is going to experience his goodness. And it's everlasting. It's never going to end. So it's important for me to be convinced that God is good to me in this circumstance. He has ordained it. And he is working it all according to his good pleasure. Romans 8, 28, our famous verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know from that context that his ultimate purpose is to cause us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his son. He's going to work it for our sanctification, for our good and for his glory. But he has a reason specifically for what's happening in your life as well. In Genesis 50, 20, we see Joseph, after all this evil has been done to him by uh, the cupbearer and the baker, you know, that situation where one goes and, and betrays him, and then we have uh, his brother selling him into slavery. We, we have uh, him being raised up and then thrown into prison, just all these things that happened to him. And then finally, he says, as for you, you meant it evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Even in your loneliness, God means this situation for whatever reason, reasons that may only ever be known to him. He means it for your good. He's got a good purpose for it. And this compassionate, faithful, loving, good God is also characterized by being just. He's not being unjust towards you. He's going to be, he's right. He does what is right. In verse, six, verse 8, he says, good and upright is the Lord. This is David preaching to himself. He's saying, good and upright is the Lord, no matter what is happening to me. Now, can you see how this takes wrestling? You're wrestling with the Lord about who He is. You're trying to remind yourself and convince yourself. You know, you're praying things like, Lord, I'm so lonely and afflicted, but I know you're compassionate. Help me to experience your compassion. Deal with me with your compassion. Show me your sweetness and your tenderness. I need you, my Abba Father. Hold me, please. These are the kind of prayers that the Lord wants you to pray. He wants you to, to pray, Lord, help me to embrace that you are right, that you are just, that in whatever state I'm in, that you're faithful. You're going to do something good and right here. You have a good purpose for it. You're going to make me more like Jesus. When you do come to this compassionate just, good, 
loving and kind God. It's good to weep. He doesn't mind you weeping. And in fact, He wants you in your weeping to come to Him. We need to weep with the Lord over our circumstances. You see, understanding who God is and wrestling with the fact of who He is and and being comforted by the fact that He's with you doesn't remove the hurt and the suffering. We often see in the Psalms that the writer has tears and they're crying out to God. In Psalm 6 verse 8, he says, Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard my voice of weeping. Have you ever just cried out to God? It's so good to have that as a practice. As you, as you see the effects of sin and the devastation and the evil, as you, if you, as you witness and you experience the suffering of people in this world, it is good to be brought to the point of tears. There have been times over a lost child or some type of uh, fractured relationship that I've found myself sobbing on my bed. Suffering through illnesses. Psalm 102 verse 9. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Psalm 119 verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 126 verse 6. He goes to and fro weeping. Carrying his bag of seed. Shall indeed Come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. There's hope in these passages as well. Joy is going to come. There is joy to be had in the midst of weeping. God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to tell him about the experiences that you have. Have you got somebody in your life that you do that with sometimes? I love the fact I can talk to my wife about anything. And she'll listen. And we're able to talk about things in such ways that perhaps we wouldn't talk to anybody else about it in that way. But even if I didn't have her, I would have God. And you have God, no matter how lonely you are, how alone you are. And He wants you to pray in such a way that you express to Him the details. I love, this is a practice that I've I've gained later in life of, of walking walking around the neighborhood and just talking to God to say Lord you know what's going on here Lord you know that I'm preaching right here and I need your help <laughs> no you, you know Lord the hurt you know what I've experienced and I walk down the beach and I say sometimes I just remind myself of what I believe I'll look at the ocean, and I'll see the sky and the clouds and the birds flying, and I'll just be amazed, and I'll say, yes, Lord, I know what's been happening to me, but I need a refresher course in my faith. Lord, you created all this. Wow, okay, so I know you're powerful. I know you're eternal. I know that you're divine. I believe that. Then I know that in my heart that I, that I have a conscience, conscience, and that I, I know what's right and wrong. Okay, you put me in that. You made me that way. And the Bible, 
That's an amazing book. Yes, I see. I do believe. I see that I have faith. And I just counsel myself through my faith and, and then who God is. And then I start to take up my situations and then those people around me. Who are the people in my Bible fellowship group? Who are the pastors on staff? Who are the people that I'm counseling with? And I just start taking those to God and just talk with him about these in kind of an intimate conversation. That's what David does. He explains to God his circumstances. Look at verses 16 through 19. He says, says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, Lord, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many and they hate me with violent hatred. So, he models for us that you should tell God that you're lonely. You should tell God that you're, you're distressed, that you're afflicted, that you have enemies, that your heart's enlarged, that your heart's about to burst for all of this emotion. And tell him what's causing your loneliness. What are, what are the specifics? See, David, he doesn't really get too specific in this psalm, he does talk about enemies. And that really describes for us uh, more of a vivid picture as we read about David's uh, historical accounts when he was on the run a lot of times. He had Saul, his king, who he was loyal to, chasing him, trying to kill him. He had sons that were trying to overthrow him or lead insurrections, and he would have to be on the run again from a family member. He was hiding in the wilderness. He was hiding in caves sometimes. And he penned some of the psalms of loneliness in those dark times. He prays in verse 2. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Verse 19, he says, Look upon my enemies, for they are many. They hate me with violent hatred. So that's why he's lonely. He's surrounded by enemies. He's got friends and family who are against him. He's been driven out of his house, his home, his city. So it's good to detail with God your circumstances. What's causing your loneliness? And share with God about your sins. This is a big part of it. Notice how David does this. He says in verse 7, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. In other words, don't hold those against me, God. Verse 11, he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Verse 18, Look upon my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. As long as we live here on this earth, sin, sadly, is going to be a reality for us. Even though we're changed, even though we're forgiven, We're going to sin against God. And sometimes our circumstances are part of God's discipline in our lives. And so it's important for us to regularly deal with our sin, to to confess our sins to God, to seek His forgiveness, and to repent and walk in a different direction. This is important for our fellowship with the Lord. It's hard to go to the Lord and 
seek him if you're sinning against him. But it's important for us to know that as we do come to this God, we've already convinced ourselves of what this God is like, right? That he's compassionate, he's going to deal tenderly with us, he's already taking care of our salvation. How will he not give all things to us? And so when you come to him, don't be afraid to confess your sins. We can sin in our loneliness, can't we? We can become so self-focused we, we, realize, we should realize, let me make sure to emphasize that being lonely or feeling lonely is not a sin. Don't feel guilty for experiencing normal human emotions. But our response to loneliness might be. You see, when we're tempted in our loneliness, we may become anxious We may be tempted to worry, to become angry, angry at God or angry at other people who are creating this situation of loneliness. We may allow it to paralyze us and keep us from getting out of bed in the morning, to keep us from doing what we know to be right and keep us from reaching out to the people and living in relationship to other people. Our loneliness can cause us to become self-absorbed, to not care or think about other people so in our loneliness we need to make sure that we're recognizing our sin and going to the Lord for forgiveness now after you've talked to the Lord about your circumstances it's so important to walk with the Lord that's the third process to walk with the Lord on his course David knows this about the Lord. In verse 8, he says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He instructs sinners in the way. And then in verse 9, it says, He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble in his way. He's going to lead, he's going to teach He's going to lead, teach, and instruct. Yeah, there it goes. So three ideas there that tell us that he's got a way. He's got a way for you to live even in your loneliness. He wants to teach you something with this circumstance. And he wants to teach you through his word about your situation. So David prays for the Lord to do this. Verse 4, he says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. It's interesting just that direct address he has with God. He says, says, make me know your ways. Sometimes in my life I've, I've kind of sensed this rebellious spirit in my life. or I, I've, I've had this, these times where I didn't want to obey God. Or things times when I had difficulty obeying God in a certain area. Maybe there's a sin that was kind of snaring me. And I wouldn't have the will in me to to do it. I wouldn't even want to do what was right. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But if you have, the answer is to get God to make you do it. (laughs) I know there's this mysterious relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. But I know, and I know that I'm responsible, but I also know that I need the Spirit's empowering. I need the Spirit to work and will in me 
so that I will desire to do it. And so, that's what I pray. And that's what David prays. He says, make me know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. We need God to teach us. We need to be God-taught. If we're God-taught, then we have the ability to obey. And he prays in verse 21, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. If he's God-taught, he's going to have a life, even in this loneliness, of righteousness and integrity. Well, finally, from this text, we see the one thing we need to do in our loneliness is wait on the Lord's conclusion. The Lord's going to bring it all to pass. He's going to bring it all to some conclusion. And what we have to do is just wait. This is what David does in verse 3. He says, Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. None who wait will be ashamed. Verse 3 says, For I wait all the day. And in verse 21, For I wait for you. All of these are in context of his rehearsing to himself who God is and what God is like and what God's doing. And that is juxtaposed, it's right side by side with his situation. And he believes that this God, who is this way, is going to, in some way, work in this circumstance to accomplish his purpose. And I need to just watch him work. This is what we're to be doing in our loneliness. And we see examples of this in the psalm. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. If you're convinced of all we've talked about, then you can be strong. You say, yes, Lord, I'm lonely. I'm, I'm afflicted. I'm distressed. I have this large heart. But I can be strong because you're with me. Verse, uh, Psalm 33, verse 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Waiting is not just, you know, stomping your foot, you know, kind of wringing your hands in worry. But waiting has a direction. And there's a hope. All these things talk about, these verses talk about there's no shame in waiting because of who God is. You can be strong and have courage as you wait. You can know that God is our help and our shield as we wait. In Psalm 37, verse 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Psalm 37, verse 34 says, Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you. Psalm 39, verse 7, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. While we're waiting, there's a perspective that we develop. And we see four components of this perspective in these, this final, final emphasis, final idea that I want to put before you. And the first component of that is to trust Him. 
He's trustworthy. David says at the very outset of this psalm, verse 2, he says, Oh my God, I trust in you. In you I trust. That's where we begin and end in our circumstances. You're trusting God. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're trusting in God for your salvation. He's the God of your salvation. But you're also trusting in Him to deal with your loneliness. The second perspective is to fear Him. Verse 12 says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? And verse 14, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. We should have a great fear of God. To see who He is in His holiness and His justice. What He's capable of doing in His wrath and His power. And we should stand in awe of this holy, awesome, sovereign God. It's in Him that we trust. We should live our lives in the fear of the Lord. And then third, we're to be humble. In verse 9, he says, He leads the humble in justice, and He teaches the humble His way. Loneliness brings humility, doesn't it? Because there's not something we can do really to change a lot of times the external circumstances that create our loneliness, but, but also the internal change that needs to happen. We're dependent upon the Lord. Earlier we talked about praying, Lord, make me walk in your ways. Well, we need Him to change our hearts. And so we should be humble. Let's walk before Him Put away pride. Confess that pride. And finally, keep your eyes on Him. Verse 15 says, My eyes are continually toward the Lord. This is really a summary of all of these things. Your eyes are on the Lord as you wrestle with who He is. Your eyes are on the Lord as you, as you walk. Your, your eyes are on the Lord as you weep with Him and as you wait for Him. Just, just keeping your eyes on Him is what you need in every tribulation, in any trial. Everything we've said about loneliness fits all of life's circumstances, doesn't it? In conclusion, I want you to think about two final requests that we haven't covered that David makes. One is personal. And one is corporate. The personal one is in verse 20. He says, guard my soul and deliver me. This is what David wants and what he needs. He, if he's going to continue to go through loneliness and affliction and distress and all of this emotional angst and this suffering, he's going to need the Lord to guard him to guard his soul, to preserve him, to cause him to persevere as he walks through this loneliness. But his real desire is that the Lord would deliver him. That he would stop this. That he would deliver him from his enemies. So he prays, guard my soul and deliver me. If you are going to be left in your circumstances, if you're going to be left in being lonely and feeling lonely, then you need the Lord to guard you. You need the Lord to 
preserve you and help you to persevere in doing what is right and walking with the Lord and keeping your eyes on the Lord. But finally, I see something amazing here at the end of this psalm. He turns himself, by God's grace, from himself to others. And he prays for others. In verse 22, he says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. He's talking about the nation as if they're one man. He says, redeem him. And he's talking about all of Israel, all of the people, all of the nation. Loneliness may not go away, but it can be dealt with through all we've said. But you know you have a healthy loneliness when even within your own feelings of loneliness, you're able to look up and look out at others who may be lonely. See, you're not alone in being lonely. There are other people who are suffering loneliness today in their circumstances. There are people who have had loss of life, family members. They have unsaved children. They live in marriages that are not one. They're not unified. There's not peace. Every single Sunday, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that come into this building and sit among all these people and are lonely. We need each other. I want to challenge you in an application of this to find other people, to find out about their loneliness. And here are a couple of action items. First, be intentional. Search other people out. And second, seek intimacy. That's something every single person needs, whether they believe it or not. They need other people to be intentional about them. We want to be a church where people are intentional about getting to know other people and serving them and practicing the one another's with them. And as you do that, there's the need of an intimacy, a close relationship where you can actually share with somebody what's going on. You ought to be able to tell somebody, I'm struggling with this particular sin. You ought to be able to tell somebody, my marriage is really suffering. I'm suffering in my marriage. Somebody called me recently that I talked to, and they were just saying, you know, I said, how are you really doing? And they said, I'm, I'm so lonely. This was a single person. Sometimes we, we have counseling situations where people are just talking about the trials that they're going through. And they'll confess. They'll, they'll say, you know, I'm lonely. I'm suffering. I'm afflicted. I'm, I'm distressed right now. I'm in agony. I'm in despair. I'm depressed. We need somebody we can talk to about that. And in, in addition to people who are members or regular attenders here, we have every single Sunday people who are visitors. Some are saved, some are not. And we need to be that way with them as well. Be intentional. 
Find somebody that you don't know. Maybe there's somebody who's a regular attender or a member here. We have a big enough church for that to happen. In that case, maybe ask them, so how long have you been at Riverbend? They'll say, oh, I, I, this is my first day. Oh, wow, okay, I've found somebody. <laughs> or maybe you need to get to know somebody that you don't know who's a, a Riverbender. But it's so important for us to introduce ourselves to people who don't know Christ so that we can introduce them to the one who can truly reconcile them to himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God has given us a ministry and it is the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to these final words. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The greatest alienation is what? It is alienation from God. That's the source of all of our other loneliness. And you have the ministry of reconciliation. You are ambassadors for Christ. God is going to make an appeal through your words, using his word, and you ought to be begging people to be reconciled to God. And that is what I say to you. If you have not a relationship with Christ, be reconciled to God he can take care of your sins. He can take care of your loneliness. Let's pray. Lord, I think about people here today, and I, I just pray that we would all just take this to heart. Not only are we suffering in different ways that cause loneliness, but the other people around us. It's easy for us to think, oh, no, I'm the only one. Everybody else is fine. They're all doing well. But let us be people who, who care. We pray that if there's someone who's suffering in some way today, that they would find somebody and be able to share with them, be able to receive direction toward the Lord, towards His Word, Father, we pray for people who do not know Christ to be reconciled to him today as well. That is the greatest gift. That you have forgiven our sins. That you have brought us into a relationship with you as our father and Christ as our brother. Adopted into the family. Make us a church, Lord, that speaks of these things. People that are close. People that are intimate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.